Well, so, um, yeah, I've been, I've been working on this, trying to figure this out quite a bit recently. And, uh, it seems like I've, I've sort of reasoned myself into a cul-de-sac and I just keep going in circles. Um, so hoping you could help me untangle myself. It's uh, it's almost a possibility. Let's, uh, let's give it a shot. <laughs> All right. Um, so how should I start? Absolutely up to you. Okay. Um, well, I guess the, um, the general outline of, of the thing, uh, is that I'm frustrated in a lot of interactions with people because it seems like, it seems like, like I'm more conscious of the, uh, like I, I feel pressure to, um, sort of move quickly in relationships. Um, and I think it comes in, in part from you know, the idea that, well, life is, life is short to some, some extent and therefore there's limited time and, you know, you're only going to be 22 once and, um, you know, need to try to, um, take advantage of, of that time. And, um, and it seems like I, I don't know a lot of people, um, outside of FDR who seem to be aware of that and, um, and, you know, everyone you know, knows those country songs that are like, you know, live while you're dying or like live like you're dying or whatever. And, you know, I, it's like I'm, I'm, it's like I'm the guy who's like, hey, let's actually do that. You know, that sounds like a good idea. Let's um, let's do that. And then people don't seem to want to so much or don't seem to be able to or something. And right. so I'm it's like a kind of impatience, like um, I'm like, well, you know, why can't you guys, you know, see this and come on, let's go, you know, every time's passing, you know, let's go every day, every day, every day. Um, right. And like, it seems to be technically correct, you know, like the idea that we organize our lives to some extent, you know, with, with the end in mind and that that helps us to prioritize. And I've spent the last few years prioritizing my time so that I have the ability, sorry, my phone's ringing. Um, so that I have the capacity to like reorganize my schedule when I want to and, and do the things that I want to do. Right. And, but then it's like, there's no one to do those things with then because other people haven't taken the time to, you know, free up their schedules or make their schedules flexible or whatever. Can you give me, uh, I'm just trying to make sure I understand that in the sort of here and now sense, what, uh, what, what sort of specific examples do you mean? Um, so, I mean, I guess a precipitating event that is, um, I mean, this, this, this seems to happen repeatedly. So it, it's like any event could do it, but this, um, the, the one that's on my mind this week is, um, there's a girl I'm interested in, um, potentially. And so, you know, we, we've gone a couple of dates and then when, um, I guess on Monday we were gonna, um, do something, go to go to dinner or something. And she, um, she canceled on me and it turned out it was because like she was feeling overwhelmed because of something else that was going on, um, with some clubs that she's trying to organize and she, and, and she's like an RA too. So she was like, something else came up for her with her, with her job that she has. And so, um, I mean like that's okay, you know, because things happen and all that kind of stuff. But but um, then it happened again, I guess, yesterday. Um, and I, have, I don't know why it happened yesterday yet. So because um, we, we were like, OK, well, we, you know, Monday didn't work. So let's try it for tomorrow. And then like tomorrow didn't work. 
you know, which was yesterday, didn't work either. And so, um, so I, but, but I, I looked at it and I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've made my schedule flexible so that I don't have things that come up very often to prevent me from following through on things that I want to do. But it seems like, you know, I mean, she's obviously hasn't done that. And so, you know, she wants to do something or says she does, and then something comes up and it stops her. And then I'm, I'm sort of impatient, like, but you know, I don't want to waste time because I feel like it's wasting time to not, I don't know, get together at the right time or something like that. Right. Okay. So you feel that there's great, some, some serious potential in the relationship and you'd like to sort of move it forward, but she's busy, so to speak. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like there, like there's some potential and, you know, I'd like to find out, you know, how much potential there is. And there's that part of me that's like, you know, time is short, time is short, you know, time is short. And, and, and really like, as far as Raleigh is concerned, time is short because once I graduate, I don't plan to stick around. Um, I mean, unless I have some kind of job opportunity that, that fits with what I want to do, um, long-term I plan to move to Philadelphia. So like, you know, the, the, the time period in which I could sort of test and see if I'm, if I can find more people that I'm compatible with in Raleigh is short. It's like four and a half months or five months. Oh boy. Right. Right. Um, so it, like, and if, do you know where she's going? Uh, cause then, then you leave, you're done for the semester. Do you know where she's going at that point? Um, well, she's going to still be here for another year. So it's like, if, but maybe not for the summer, right? She may be going home or somewhere else for the, for the summer. summer. Right. So, right. so if it, so if, if it did turn out that we, uh, that we wanted to like keep going with this, then it would, it would definitely, uh, you know, change my plans. So, um, at least, at least for the next year. Right. So, um, so then you would stay, uh, to pursue the relationship. Right. Right. Um, so there is, so that, so, you know, in that example, there really is a kind of limited time to, to sort of see if it works. Right. And is she aware of this from you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's actually something we talked about pretty early. I, I told her about, you know, my plan to move to Philadelphia and why I was moving there, you know, to, to pursue, uh, the kind of relationships that I wanted long-term and, um, you know, and, you know, I talked about how I don't, I don't feel that I have time for, um, to, to spend time with people who don't seem to have potential, you know, indicated that, you know, I, I was, I wanted to spend time with her because, you know, there, there were things that I liked about her and I wanted to explore that further. And have you guys, uh, I mean, are you romantically involved at the moment or would this be a first date? Um, would, would what be a first date? Like when you got together, when we got together on, uh, I guess we went, we went for lunch on Friday and I guess that was the first date. And then we went, uh, for dinner on, on Sunday. Right. And this is all like before school started. So, you know, there, there's like more free time, like school started on, uh, on Monday and it starts tomorrow for me. So, um, so that'll obviously, you know, anyway, that was before school started. Right. 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 Okay. And can you tell me a little bit about the, uh, the woman in question? Yeah. Um, so she's, um, I guess the, what I've noticed about her and what draws me to her is, or the first thing that I noticed about her, like when we first met in December, um, we were talking about some of the traveling that we had done and, and, um, you know, she was telling me about places that she'd been and, um, and I was talking about, you know, going to India and that kind of thing. And what I noticed and what was uh, interesting was that she, um, she was enthusiastic about about what she was doing. 
um, which I don't know, like it, it, I really like that in people to see that enthusiasm and, and the passion for, you know, for what they're doing and the interest in what right. they're doing. So um, I definitely wanted to find out more about that. And then, um, you know, I hear more of her stories about, about going to Egypt and this kind of stuff. So I, um, you know, we arranged to, to get together on Friday and then, um, you know, it just, it, it, it was, it was, it was great because, um, I mean, she's, she was interested in, you know, the things that I was saying, I was interested in the things that she was saying. Um, and it was funny, like the things that would come up, you know, like, um, emotionally, I was sort of, cause we, I talked about this, this idea of like moving to Philadelphia to pursue relationships. And she seemed to think that was really interesting because, um, you know, the idea that, that I'm placing such a huge importance on, you know, achieving these real relationships. Um, and she expressed some, you know, some, some frustration with, with friends that she'd had, you know, that who didn't put the kind of importance on it. Um, and, you know, and indicated that, that she wanted to, that she'd be interested in, in trying to find, you know, those kind of relationships too. And so I, I went and went on to more detail about, um, what it is that I meant by that. And I guess that was something else that I thought was interesting about her was that, was that even though she hadn't necessarily heard, um, a lot of this kind of stuff before she seemed to take to a lot of it pretty quickly, you know, about, about, the, right. about the importance of, of honesty and like, and not just saying it, but actually doing it and what that might look like and, um, that kind of thing. Right. Right. All right. Uh, all of that is not what I'm asking, which we would have no way of knowing, okay. <laughs> but though it, though it certainly is interesting information. So let me, um, uh, be a bit more specific. Um, you have now spent at least as far as I remember, three to four years in heavy pursuit of self-knowledge and goal orientation and direction, right? Right. So that's, that's pretty advanced, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she and hasn't done that. I mean, see, that was going sure. to be my next, uh, my next question. And, um, wh where am I going with this? Oh, you know, so well, Well, I know. And it's, and I mean, and so, so part of me is like, you know, I know where you're going with this and you know, I'm kind of embarrassed that. No, no. So look, look you could be completely right. But, these are just questions I have. I mean, then, uh, you know, right. So these are just questions that I would have. I mean, you could be, Hey, maybe she's exactly the right woman. This is just, you know, yeah. this is sort of where I want to uh, ask. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the caution is, you know, it's like, well, she hasn't gone through the work. And so like, even if, even if she turned out to be the kind of person who did want to go through the work, you know, it would be you know, a while before. Well, I didn't get it before months. Right. 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 Um, and so like, there's a, a pretty, I'm sorry. I also wanted to mention that you were also in the extremely fortunate position of having a dad, at least who was, you know, Involved and, and keen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which and that's helps. not common, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, and I know that. Um, I know. That. Next question: <laughs> <laughs> What do you know about her family? Um, well, I don't know about her family. So her family. Um, well. I mean, this, you know, this sounds also Victorian. Oh, what kind of income does her father have? Yeah. And does he have no. land? And is he titled? And, I know. You know, and I know. These I know. are questions that we need to ask, right? So, yeah. So one thing that I know about, about her family, uh, about her, her mom, is that um, her mom spent a lot of time during their childhood, like, sort of re, like restarting her career and going back to school and, like, being really, really busy. 
mm-hmm. um, which now that I say that out loud, it's kind of like, oh, okay. So it makes sense. Like, cause she short, she does that with her schedule. Like she, she has filled up her schedule with lots of, lots of busyness working toward a career plan. Um, so, but anyway, so her mom did that. And, and I remember like, you know, her talk, this, the girl I'm interested in talking about the ages at which, like the age at which she, you know, the age she was when her mom was doing certain things. So it was like, you know, her mom finished, I guess, finished her degree, her second, you know, her new degree, I guess, when this girl was eight. Right. So, um, so I guess a lot of, a lot of that early time, uh, those early years, um, I mean, her mom was around enough to, um, I mean, I, I got the, she said that she, she was, she did spend time with them during the day, but like she was, she was gone at night doing night classes and, and like, and working, like even working a part-time job during a lot of that time. So her mom was home during the day. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. At least, at least part of the day. So who raised her, uh, outside of her mom? Um, I don't, I, I'm not really sure. I, I wasn't, um, I, I didn't ask, um, about, look, I'm just curious again, this is not like cross examination time for her or you. I'm just yeah. curious. Uh, these, these are sort of important things. I, I don't know. I don't really answer that. But right. Was right. Wrong. But she, she does have, um, other siblings and particularly a sister who's pretty close in age, um, like a year older. Okay. So there's, you know, not, not wanting to sound overly critical, but I mean, there are, uh, to, to have two kids and then go back to school, not the best planning in the world, right? Yeah. And so the question to me is, is always not so much what happened in the family, but what is the awareness of what happened in the family, right? Mm-hmm. So does she talk about her mom like, oh, yeah, my mom was a real go-getter. She worked really hard and blah, blah, blah. Or it was like, yeah, you know, my mom had kids and then decided to go back to school, which was, you know, tough. I can maybe understand why she did it, but I don't think it was the right sequence or, you know, or anywhere in between. Yeah, it's it's more more toward the the um, the end of the first one, more toward like, sure. you know, my, my mom, mom was really, really hard, hard, and, really hard and she, um, you know, she sort of overthrew her first career and, and changed it to something that she liked better and you know, now she's really successful and whatever. And that means that the mom, uh, hasn't, uh, necessarily said, Hey, you know, I'm sorry that I was gone for so long. Uh, I realized after you guys were born that, uh, I wanted to switch careers and, you know, that must've been tough for you and tell me, you know, what that was like and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, now was this before she went to school? Before the girl went to school? Yeah. Like she um, was very young. Um, well, I mean, so the mom finished the second degree when she was eight or nine, which would have been like third grade. Hmm. She wasn't, yeah, she, she would have been in school at least by the time the degree was finished. I don't, I don't, I didn't. I'm sorry. There were two, de- did she take two degrees since after her kids were born? No, I think, I think it was just like, like I'm going to go back to school now and get a, get a different degree so that I can do this new thing. I don't think it was, oh, like okay. I finished a degree and then I'm going to go back and get another degree. I think it was just the second degree that happened after the kids were born. Okay. So if uh, she was eight, then it's possible that it was sort of that, that her mom was home for the first couple of years and then did a, a, uh, a degree, uh, after her daughter went to school. Yeah. Yeah. And, and cause the, the, the second career is a little higher profile, like in turn, like she's working for a, like a drug company in some kind of organizational manner now. Um, and the, the so what that means, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but what, what that means is that, um, the, the, the daughter then would be in school during the day and then would, um, 
would not see her mom at night, right? Um, yeah, but she did say that she did say that her mom was there to like was there with them at some point during the day. So it may have been that she was like working in the morning and then was like there in the afternoon for a few hours and then went to night classes. She did say she was there. You mean after after the girl came home from school? She didn't say what time of day, but she did say that she was there during the day. Maybe lunch. Maybe she came home for lunch and her mom was there. Yeah. And then I don't know. I don't know if everybody does that though. Like at my school, we never came home for lunch. Even really, well, I did, but uh, at least when I wasn't in boarding school. But I live pretty close to the school. But all right, okay. Um, and uh, what else do you know about her? What's the story with her dad? Um, I don't know a whole lot about her dad, other than that he's he's also um, he's also like kind of you know busy working and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I do, I do think that he was more, you know, probably, probably less emotionally available. I don't, I'm not sure why I think that I'm, I'm not sure if she said that or if I just got that impression from talking to her, but it I'm seems sure like, sure you're right. Yeah. It sure seems that like that's, right. that's, 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 that's a good thing about a whole bunch of self-work is you just get to be prejudicial and right yeah. at the same time because you've got your instincts. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know why I think that, but I think that's the case. All right. All right. And uh, what do you think about what we're talking What's your experience of what we're talking about? Um, is it useful or? I mean, it's useful in terms of organizing my my thoughts and like helping me be conscious about this particular event and this particular experience with this particular person. But I, I don't know how it's how it's going to help yet with the overall pattern because it's it's like a pattern of interaction but with her or in no, general. It's like people in general, right? Right. And it may help, which is, you know, so I'm perfectly content to go along with it because, um, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how to, how to solve this. So, if you know, I'm willing to try anything. Uh, and you don't mind a, a little bit of profanity in my next story, do you? Do it. All right. This is my highly instructive fuck my ass story. <laughs> and uh, so I will tell you the fuck my ass story and you'll <laughs> see if it makes any sense. So I was, um, I can't even remember where. I was I was out somewhere with some friends. Uh, we were doing a tour of some kind. I think it was a museum or something like that. And there was this, um, this woman and she was uh, attractive and she was sort of my age. And um, she uh, was... Uh, we'll, we'll call her Beth. I don't remember her name, but I'm sure that wasn't it. So, so Beth was, uh, uh, and she was pretty funny. Like she was a, a wisecracker, I guess you could say, right? So the the group was starting to disperse, and she was like, "Come on, everybody, hold on to the rope, hold on to the rope." Like you know, when you're in um, in kindergarten or whatever, and you have to hold on oh, to yeah. the rope when yeah, you're yeah. all going along the street, mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty funny. So uh, I chatted with her for a bit, and I got her number, and we arranged to go out for uh, for dinner. And because she was funny, and I associate that with intelligence, I associate that with, uh, you know, a good humor and so on and all, right? But, I mean, I didn't know anything about this woman other than that she was funny, and this is, I'm pretty sure, yeah, this was before therapy and before, you know, the big mad plunge into self-knowledge. And so we go out for dinner, and it was not exactly a spectacular disaster, but it wasn't far short of that. Uh, the only thing that made it not a spectacular disaster was I got a good principle out of it, which I'm going to, you know, share. Mm -hmm. And this is not to indicate that this woman you're talking about is anything like Beth in any substantial way. But anyway, so we we sort of start sitting down, and she has good humor, and she's ebullient and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, she starts telling me about her ex-husband who played uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, on doors that he took. He took, he took the doors off the hinges in the house and he put it down for his Warhammer and Dungeons mm -hmm. and Dragons games. And uh, he smoked pot all the time. And, you know, she couldn't even go down there because her eyes would water and so on. 
and uh, at one point i made uh, i made some comment about you know that this this uh uh you know that he must have been somewhat low motivated or whatever and she she's just laughing she said fuck my ass he was right <laughs> something like that right and look i mean i don't mind crudity i don't mind profanity i certainly uh, i do that viking dip from time to time but on a first date, that may not be, you know, a phrase that you lead with. I mean, this was within sort of 10, 15 minutes of, of sitting down. And, you know, when you, you try not to have your eyes widen, I don't know if you've ever <laughs> had to do that. You know, uh, if, if you get a low ball or a high ball offer in a job or something like that, you, yeah, try yeah. Not, you try to keep your poker face. Well, I was really trying to keep my poker face. And the reason that that story came to mind was that I, I said to myself, look, I'm not going to take one characteristic of someone and blow it up into a personality. Mm-hmm. Like she was she was witty and she was good natured and she was verbally uh, very fast. But I wasn't, you know, I said to myself, look, I'm not going to take take one aspect of a personality and blow it up into a whole character and come to conclusions. I've got to try and get a sense of the whole person and all that kind of stuff. And the reason that that popped into my mind, I think, was because you said that the girl was enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. That was it, as far as the positives went. And look, I'm not trying to catch you, and of course I know that there are more or anything like that, but enthusiastic to me is is like funny to this girl, this Beth, mm-hmm. in that I guess I would be concerned the degree to which you're trying to look at the whole picture rather than looking at one aspect of the personality and uh, say, well, that's, you know, that's a sign of something really positive And, you know, there must be a lot more that's really positive, too. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I guess the reason it makes sense to me is because, I mean, I don't, when I meet most people, they're not that way. Like, they're not enthusiastic about what they're doing. And they are sort of bored with their lives and, and won't and, and not aware that they're bored with their lives consciously, you know. Right, and they want to make other people bored with their lives too. Yeah, in some way. yeah. yeah. and so when like I you show enthusiasm, they get cynical or eye rolly or distant or whatever, right? Right, right. So, so meeting her, like as far as like a first impression goes, is like okay, so this is good, you know, like this is this is at least a good a good minimum place to start for sure. Well, I don't know that it's a minimum place to start or a good place to start. I'm not saying it's an unattractive quality. Enthusiasm can be can be a good quality. It can be a bad quality. And some people can be very enthusiastic for things that are very bad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like religion or whatever. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that you're completely right that it's a, it's a good quality. Um, my concern, and this is where I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> you could do more of the talking. But I guess my, my question is, is sort of fundamentally, how do you view the effects of the self-work that you've done over the past couple of years? Like, how do you think that that places you, or where does that place you in the sort of continuum of human knowledge and wisdom and experience and virtue and all that kind of stuff? I mean, let, let me, I won't ask any more leading questions. I'm just mm-hmm. sort of ask where, where you think there's that, where does that put you? Um, well, I mean, I, frankly, I'm ambivalent about it um, in times like this because it, it seems like you know, like, like part of me really likes the work that I've done and, and thinks that it, that it sets me in a, in a unique place as far as people go and, and, and puts me in a position to, to, in a unique position to like achieve my values in the way I want to. But then it, it's like, it doesn't seem that it's given me the results that I want yet, you know, to, so 
it's like I, I don't know if it's like not working. Let's even. go with the negative because yeah. we usually don't have to worry about ambivalence. The positive, yeah. like the, the the light side of the uh, uh, of the um, of the yin yang. So, what? Uh, tell me about the effects that it hasn't had for you yet. Um, just like finding. I mean, as far as finding community where I am, um, and and being able to connect with people, and like, I mean, specifically like finding a girlfriend or, um, making friends who are consistent. Um, and you could look at it as either it hasn't helped me find those people or it hasn't helped me like notice that I'm not doing the right thing to find those people or something. And so, you know, like there's this, there's this still this like existential impatience that, you know, is there that seems to put me like at a disadvantage rather than an advantage of, in terms of like finding what I want relationship wise. Right. All right. And, and even like, even, even getting better at honesty with people, like it's, it seems like sometimes those tools of, of being honest aren't helping me because it scares people. Sure. And, you know, like even, even people who may like, it might like if somebody had come along and been as honest with me, you know, six years ago, as I sometimes am with people the first time I meet them, like, I don't know if I would have been scared away. So right. I don't know. I don't know if it's like by, by loading up the, the truth guns really early in the relationship, if I'm scaring people away before they get a chance to, um, you know, to see something, you know, to see the bigger picture. Like if, if, the, if all they notice is this one thing that I say because it's, it's like so powerful or frightening to them. Right. Right. Well, um, I think that's um, endearingly insane. <laughs> in a very very positive well, I, way. I love for you to, to disperse me of the delusion because <laughs> yeah i mean and i completely understand it and i fall into it too but but this is sort of right so so th there's a fundamental question when you when you grow and you want obviously to find like-minded people of course we're tribal we're communal we want people around who who share and reflect good values and done the work and speak the same language right um I mean, if you move to China and it's impossible for you to learn Mandarin, mm -hmm. then you better find somebody who speaks English, right? Because mm -hmm. otherwise you're just not going to connect with anyone. So the question is sort of like this. So are we looking for a house in the outskirts of a city or are we looking for a house in a complete wilderness? Right, so if, if you're looking for a house in the outskirts of a city where houses may be few and far between, sort of farmland or whatever, and then you can keep looking and eventually you'll find a house and you can buy it or, or whatever, right? But if you're really out in the wilderness, like dozens of miles from anywhere and you're on foot around looking for a house, then you're not going to find one, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you say, well, I'd rather buy a house than build a house, then it makes perfect sense to look for a house if there are houses around, even if they're few and far between. If there are no houses around, then it doesn't make any sense to look for them. You might as well just accept and, and build the house, right? Right. So I think your question is, well, how many of these damn houses are there around, if any? Mm -hmm. Because 
if there aren't any around, then I need to take a different approach than looking for them. And if there are, why is it that I'm not seeing them? Right. And that's, and so my, my worry is that like, that I'm not looking for people in the right way. And that maybe there are people here and I, and I'm like not finding them because I'm not looking in the right way. Well, I don't think you think that because I know that you're a staggeringly intelligent fellow and you have, uh, you've been on the message boards for years and what has people generally, I mean, you have a lot of, you have the empirical evidence of thousands of people or at least hundreds who've spent significant amounts of time looking for philosophers or people with good self-knowledge and so on. And, um, what, uh, what's the evidence? That it's super rare. Well, it's so rare, in fact, that people have to move to God help them Philadelphia, right? Yeah. And in Philadelphia, there are, what, eight or ten people? Yeah. Out of, uh, what, a quarter million listeners over the years? Mm -hmm. So we have a, um, uh, a sample, let's say, of a quarter million listeners over the years. It's probably more, but let's just go with that. And of those quarter million people, uh, how many do you feel have dug in for years uh, in a concerted uh, effort towards self-knowledge and uh, and living philosophical values and uh, and all that? Maybe maybe thirty. Yeah, my view is a little bit higher because I get emails from people who aren't on the message board. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, even if we say that it's two hundred and fifty, uh, then it's. Um, it's, it's, it's one out of a thousand, right? Mm -hmm. Who've listened to the show. And the population of America is a couple of hundred million, uh, of which 0. 0.00 whatever it is, 1% have had any exposure to free domain radio and maybe a, you know, a couple of times that philosophy as a whole that's sort of actionable and so on. And so I think that we can safely say that, uh, you know, how many people do you know uh, at the uh, at the campus? Like that, you know, at least to the point where you'd have some sort of interaction and some possibility of seeing if they're like minded um, or just minded. Yeah, I mean, maybe 400 or 500. No, but that, that you know, that you oh. have some conversational access to. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, probably if I saw any any anywhere, probably. Probably, yeah, there's probably 400 people that I could talk to. I mean, I, 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 it's a little bit of a unique case because I've, I've done some uh, some stuff with, like, the scholarship that I have. So I, got, I know, I, I at least, like, know the names of and could talk to if I wanted to just about everybody who has the scholarship, which is, like, 250 people plus other people I've met. Okay, so a couple of hundred people, right? Yeah, yeah. And so um, the the odds are, statistically... That, of course, none of them have had anything to do with free domain radio. But even if they had, even if you did find somebody who'd listened to free domain radio, the – and I just use this as a proxy for whatever, you know, that they may be into in terms of self-knowledge. Obviously, yeah. I think it's the best resource, but other people have different opinions. But statistically, like if you just run the numbers, um, it's, it's, it's zero, right? Mm -hmm. So um, statistically, we are – in a wilderness without houses, wherever we are. Yeah, and I just, I'd really rather that not be true. 
Oh, I hear you. I hear you. I absolutely hear you. Think if you lived in a city of 10 million people, then maybe a thousand or so may have had some exposure to free domain radio. And, and of those, maybe 10 would have gone uh, full tilt boogie in terms of self-knowledge. And how do you find 10 people in a city of 10 million? who may or may not be on the message boards, who may or may not be uh, uh, um, that way inclined, and, of course, who are on uh, different levels of the journey. So some will have been around from the beginning, some are very are going to go the distance but are just starting out, and some may be taking a break from the whole thing, as people sometimes do. So uh, these are the numbers we're talking about. And I know it's it sucks, but you wouldn't want to again, be looking for a house in a wilderness and feeling frustrated because you can't find it. Right. And, and look, tell me if, if you think this is um, wrong or, or, or uh, too pessimistic or um, if there's something I'm, I'm missing in, in the number crunching. Well, I don't think there's anything missing in the number crunching, but what would... I guess one of the scenarios that I think of is like that if I'm when I'm honest with you, like the, the one filter would be, you know, to find the rare, the rare needle in the haystack if there were happened to be somebody around, you know, because my idea is that there could be people around who would be open to self-knowledge or could be doing some kind of work on their own and then like, you know, to inspire them to you know, use a certain resource or to inspire them to, to know that they're supported or have people around who, um, you know, who could help them or challenge them or whatever. Um, and that doing that could be, could be good. And one way to do that would be to be honest with people as quickly as possible so that they either can see it and want it or not. But it's just, then there's the, the cultural bias about, you know, if you, if you say too much too quickly to, to new people who you meet, then that's weird. And, and like, you know, you're needy or whatever because you're. Sure. You have no boundaries. Yeah, you have no boundaries, right? That, that's that's exactly. I mean, I've gotten that before. Sure. And, sure. and then there then there's part of me that thinks it may be true, and you know, maybe that all of this philosophy and self knowledge that I'm into is really just a way to manage my own deficiencies of, of boundaries or something, and a way to justify, like, exercise or justify, you know, tendencies that I have that are not good anyway. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's always worth thinking about. I don't get that impression, but uh, I do think that um, it's easy to forget how how early it is in in philosophy. I mean, because oh, it's been a discipline that's been around for a long time, but never quite in the way that we're talking about it. So, so my concern, like the, again, to use another metaphor, so like if you are from Wales and you come to New York. And you only speak some weird, freaky ass dialect of Gaelic or something or whatever they speak in Wales. Let's just say Gaelic. I think that's Irish. So you speak Gaelic, right? And it's almost like you're saying, well, I don't speak English. I only speak a dialect of Gaelic that like 200 other people in the world speak. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find a nice girl and I'm going to start teaching her Gaelic so that we can have a relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Right? And the reason that I'm saying Gaelic is because, if again, to stretch the metaphor, like if you went to China and you needed to teach a girl English so that you could have a relationship with her, she at least would be interested in learning English because there's some value in it yeah, for there's people some, in China. There's some, right? there's some, yeah, you can still use it anyway, even if you don't use it. Yeah, there's an upside. Whereas if it's like, here's a, a Gaelic language that only 200 other people speak, I need you to spend five years learning it so we can have a relationship. And most people are going to say, you know, I don't care how sexy you are. I'm not spending five years learning a, a, a dialect of Gaelic, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing to remember is the degree to which Closeness to the truth is distance from society because society is so ridiculously false in so many ways, right? Right. And so you are, and and everybody I think gets this unconsciously, right? So, so that's a huge problem, right? Yeah. I bet you this 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 woman gets it completely because everybody's a genius and everyone's a philosopher, and she's like, okay, so you you're here for another four months, and if you enlighten me. I can't go back to being unenlightened. You are going to be gone. I still have to hang around with people. I still have to go talk to my family. So where's the upside for me? Right. So how could I, how could I, te- like, but this thing I mentioned earlier about, you know, what if the problem is with me and all of this philosophy that I'm doing is just to justify well, then it would be just your experience and everybody else would have no problem setting up these communities and reaching these people and finding like-minded souls and so on, right? Then then it would be specific to you, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, that that's not proof. Maybe we all have the same problem, but that doesn't seem very likely. So, um, Well, if, and and if, if we did and there were really awesome and caring people in the world, then they would be reaching out to us in a really nice way and trying to help us. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is you haven't said, I'm waiting for someone to find me, right? Mm-hmm. So you know that, I mean, this is well, your I mean, that, would, that would be really incredible. <laughs> I'm not going to well, be around for it. Right? But but that's interesting. So what you're saying is that, that nobody's going to come and find you. At least that's not what you're thinking, right? Well, I'm not going to put my eggs in that basket. Because it's... Right, right, right. But But that is a way of accepting the rarity, right? And so here we come to the dark secret of philosophy, right, which I guess we could talk about now. I was going to do a podcast on it in the spring, but we can talk about it now, right? And the dark secret of philosophy is that once you become a philosopher, it's leadership or solitude. There's nothing else. Yeah, leadership that's, 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 or that's solitude. what it seems to be coming down to. Like, that's not the exact words that I, I would have put it in, but that's, that's really close, yeah. Well, tell me what, uh, you, you may have a better phrasing, which I'm always happy um, to hear. Well, it's just, yeah, because I've, I've been thinking more about you know, the idea of, 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 t- of taking leadership and like, and what that means and, uh, and what that would look like. Like I, I've been talking to, to Greg a couple of times and he's, you know, trying to, you know, I guess step up and take a more of a leadership role in Philadelphia because, you know, I, I, he talked to you about that, right? Yeah. 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 So we, yeah. Talk- and so people are beginning to understand that. And of course we, a lot of us come from these bone crushing histories where leadership is a fairly foreign concept. That certainly was the case for me. Mm-hmm. But um, the show only exists fundamentally, Free Domain Radio only exists fundamentally because of that choice of leadership or solitude. And I was going to say, I'll be damned if I'm going to live with solitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I, cause I've been thinking about this a little bit. And 
then there's then there's the the question of whether because I've been thinking like in terms of, of me being a leader and what that might look like and, and what kind of things I would have to offer. And then there's that, that other voice in, in my head that's like, but what if, what if this desire to be a leader is just a grandiose, like way to compensate for feeling uh, weak because I don't have good relationships. <laughs> right. Okay. So where, where is this voice coming from? I don't know. I'm sure you do. I mean, it seems like it's coming from, I mean, just like I, I've heard enough, you know, other people seem like, that, 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 you know, we, we think we're motivated by one thing and turns out motivated by another thing. And well, yeah, but these aren't people who spent six years in self-knowledge, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. So where does the voice of it's, it, it seems to me that the voice that you hear is you think it's for virtue, but it's for vanity. Mm hmm. And it's like compensating for the fact that I've that I've had this like well if I can't get what I want then I'll I'll be grandiose and whatever. Like it's like, it's like right. A, like so a where's uh, where's that voice coming from? I mean, there's, there's two places, questions? right? <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's two places to look first, right? The first, of course, is your personal history. Mm -hmm. In other words, was the uh, was there an association between leadership and grandiosity uh, in you know from your mom or your dad, or or was it sort of embedded in in your history? That's one place. I don't suspect it's coming from there because of the amount of self work that you've done, but it certainly is possible. So, is there was there someone around, an authority figure around when you were growing up? who equated leadership with grandiosity? Um, not who equated leadership with grandiosity. I mean, there were, or teachers, there were teachers who were grandiose. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, I think we all know those. And yeah. of course, the priests would be those in particular. Right? Yeah. Um, but was there anyone who made that association uh, that, that comes to mind or comes into your heart when you think about the, the the words that you're using to describe your own desire for leadership. Let's see. I don't think so. Nothing's coming to mind. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, so we're either both right or we're both wrong. So let's just pretend that we're right because I have no problem with that, whether we find that or not <laughs> on the, the other, right? Right. Um, so the other place to look is the unconscious of those around you in the present. And uh, does that? Uh... I mean, if because I mean, if, if they're if the people around me are resistant and afraid of of what it is that I'm trying to offer, then you know, I mean, it would be then they're going to try and infect you with self doubt, would, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're going to try and uh, paralyze your growing muscles. Uh, of, of philosophy, they're going to try and paralyze those by making you self-conscious, right? By having you look at yourself with a jaundiced, cynical eye and to equate to that which is the best within you to false self-vanity and so on, right? Now, if, and, you know, again, these things are always possible, but the probability diminishes every day that you pursue self-knowledge. Maybe just maybe you do have some insane, grandiose aspect of yourself that wants to conquer the world through leadership and exploitation and so on, right? 
But I think you can pretty much trust that you've known some pretty wise and perceptive people over the years. Uh, and um, I think people would have pretty much caught like if you grandiosity is a is a pretty big and and fundamental character flaw, right? I mean, it's it's pretty hard to miss, right? It comes with a whole host of associated defensiveness, like defenses like incredible touchiness and uh, uh, invasiveness and intrusiveness and and dissociation for others around you and and uh, aggression and bullying and, and it comes with a whole host of pathologies. It's not just like oh look, I have a little <laughs> my little finger is grandiose and the rest of me is perfectly healthy, right? Grandiosity is just one aspect of a seriously disturbed personality. And uh, I think uh, you can at least trust that since I've met you a number of times and we've talked a number of times and I'm pretty good at getting a handle on people, uh, I would have I would have seen it and I would have either mentioned something or dissociated. Mm-hmm. From. So, so you don't think that the because you, you mentioned like intrusiveness and that sounded to me kind of similar to the accusation of lacking boundaries. But no, intrusiveness is. Um, it's when you uh, demand that people believe something that is clearly crazy, and if they express any doubt, you verbally abuse them. That, that's what I mean in terms of okay. intrusiveness, right? Okay. So, so people who say uh, the Pope is a lizard man. Right, okay, right, right. And then if you say, you start to express doubt or whatever, and you see this with the truthers or other kind, they just get aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's not you. Yeah. I mean, the very fact that you'd be thinking about the possibility of grandiosity <laughs> means that there's no, almost no possibility of grandiose people. Don't right, right, that. right. I guess that, yeah. <laughs> so unless I'm like some kind of stealth genius when it comes to grandiosity, I'm probably, I'm probably not. Well, unless you're the only person in the world who has grandiosity that is neatly tucked away and has no effect on the entire rest of the personality – then, but that's sort of like saying, well, what if I had a third arm floating behind me uh-huh. that, that vanishes every time I turn around? I right. mean, it's like, we have to start dealing with probabilities here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Now, so, but, so the difference, and it's an excellent point to bring up, right? So the difference between the intrusiveness that I'm talking about, which is you need to belligerently believe this, like I'm going to belligerently force this crazy stuff on you, and if, if you express doubt or hesitation, I'm going to uh, verbally abuse you. That's different from what other people feel as intrusive, which is my beliefs are mostly false and if you bring true and rational and empirical arguments to my beliefs they're all going to fall down and so you overwhelm me and i experience you as extremely intrusive because it's like a bull in a china shop or like a strong wind on a house of cards or even a soft wing mm-hmm. a soft wind on a house of cards i am very fragile and i don't want to look at the irrationality of my beliefs but if you bring rationality, I'm going to have to do that, and therefore I experience you as intrusive. That's that's very different, right? Yeah, yeah, and like intimidating and overwhelming, and right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and sow this seed in you of you having a problem when I am in fact the one who has the problem, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, I in order to defend my false self, I'm going to attempt to inflate your false self. Because if I can get you all tangled up in your false self, you'll stop coming after, quote, coming after my false self, right? Yeah. 
and that's a great trap. And and I mean, we all fall into that trap from time to time, and uh, we all need to be conscious of that trap, right? That other people, when their false self is threatened, almost the very first and instinctual instinctive defense that they come up with is to stimulate our false self and attempt to tangle us up in self-doubt. And not rational self-doubt, just argument by adjective self-doubt, right? So if somebody says, well, you lack boundaries, my first question is, well, you must be an expert then, so tell me what boundaries means, uh, tell me how they should be respected, and tell me how I'm not fulfilling that ideal, uh, and give me specific examples by which you're coming to this conclusion. Right. Ask for evidence. It's always the rational thing to do when criticized. Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, almost nobody will have anything to say at that point. Right. Other than rolling their eyes, getting frustrated and intimating that you just you just should know. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know, you're crazy. Yeah. And that's more evidence you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that, of course, is uh, that's what happens when when you confront the false self, it intimates that it's false self for you to even confront the false self because you damn well know and you're pretending not to and it's all just a game and a manipulation. I mean, this is all just the nonsense that people do when they get the static of being asked to back up their accusations. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting how, how much of, you know, like if I actually, like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not even sure that any of, of these things are even coming from her. Like it's like, cause it's all in, internal to me. Like it's not in, there's nothing that she said that leads to any of this necessarily. It's all interpretations that I'm putting on it in terms of like this interaction. It's all these interpretations. Well, see now you're, you're going back to the false self thing again, right? Which is that it's your interpretations, which is, um, well, let's uh, examine the possibility that it's not. Well, I mean, I mean, like it's interpretations that I'm putting on it based on stuff that I've gotten from like people over the years, not something that I'm making up, but something that like that I've accumulated from. Well, so interpretation is it is in itself a self-doubting statement. Yeah. yeah. Right. So and, and look, I'm not saying never doubt yourself, but but I very much believe in innocent until proven guilty. Right. So I don't jump to. Well. I'm misinterpreting, I'm projecting, I'm grandiose, I'm this, I'm that. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm open to it, although, of course, I become less open to it as time goes along uh, because, the, you know, the, the effects would have shown up at some point, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, like uh, um, if, if somebody says, um, I don't know, when you're 20, oh, you're going to be bald by the time you're 30, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody says that to you, right? You've got a great head of hair, right? So somebody says that to you. You know, maybe you'll think, well, I guess it could happen, I guess. You know, who knows, right? But but if you're 28 or 29 and your you, your hair is still as thick as ever, then you and by the time you pass 30, you know, and, and if you haven't lost any hair by the time you're 40 or 50, it's like you're just not going to go – like it just becomes less likely every single year or every single day that passes and nothing changes, right? So people can say to me, oh, Steph, you have these massive character flaws and problems and it's like, well, but this is the good thing about being in my 40s. It's like, yeah, it would have shown up by now. You know, I wouldn't have a stable and happy uh, relationship. Uh, I wouldn't be such a, a, a good dad. Like, it, 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 I'm just not going to have magic spells cast on me called dysfunction uh, without any evidence. In fact, uh, people who cast that spell without the, without evidence uh, are themselves dysfunctional because they're being verbally abusive, right? right. To, to call somebody characterologically problemed or dysfunctional without providing evidence is, is abusive, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So um, what if, right? I, I just go with I'm bright, but I'm open to arguments to the contrary. And, and that's not just a willed thing. I mean, that's I, I have respect for my own instincts. And of course, uh, running a show like this for five years has certainly helped me uh, gain additional self-respect as far as all of that goes, this crazy navigational you know, thing that, that has been going on. So again, I just invite you into the world called I'm right, but I'm open to evidence to the contrary. And so what that means is when you think about why this self-attack really, because it is self-doubt without evidence, it's just self-attack, right? Yeah. If that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, even that, that phrase came to mind earlier that that's what was going on, but then I, then it slipped away again, right? Which is part of right. the deal, I guess. Right. So, so. Your authenticity and your honesty and your self-knowledge, are they rationally and objectively threatening to the illusions of those around you? Yes. Right. Do those people know that this is occurring? Consciously. Do they know that what's occurring? That this threat, this experience of threat is occurring. Well, they, they don't sit there and think, you know, I'm being threatened by his honesty and therefore I'm going to run away. So I guess no. Right. So if they are unconscious of it, then you need to be extra conscious of it because their unconscious stuff is going to handshake with your unconscious stuff or is going to attempt to recreate itself. See, unconsciousness is a virus. It's always trying to spread because um, by unconsciousness, I just mean errors that people aren't consciously aware of that are pretty fundamental, mm-hmm. right? So those errors are always trying to reproduce because if they reproduce enough, they are no longer perceived as errors or can't really be perceived as errors, right? So this is so, the social metaphysician stuff, right? So if I believe that, uh, I don't know, Krishna is my Lord and Savior, if I can get enough other people to believe that, then it's pretty much the same as true. And I'm also safe in that delusion because people aren't going to come along who are skeptical of that and ask me for evidence. So error is a virus that is always trying to replicate, but it can't replicate consciously because the moment the error becomes conscious, massive anxiety and a collapse of the false self and all that occurs, right? So it needs to be split. It needs to be divided up. It needs to be kept at arm's length. It needs to remain unconscious. So when you come at people with honesty and authenticity and they freak out, they can't know that they're freaking out. They can't say to you, I'm freaking out. They can't say to you in that RTR way, I feel anxiety in your very presence and I don't know why. What they need to do is to use your honesty and your self-criticism, which is what self-knowledge is, I think, in a healthy way about, to to stall you, to disconnect your engine, to power you down, right? Some guy's running at me with a chainsaw. I'm going to try and shoot him in the foot, right? I don't want to blow him away, but I'm going to shoot him in the foot. So he stops coming at me with a chainsaw. And the false self of those around you experiences philosophy as a chainsaw because it is a chainsaw to the false self. Mm -hmm. And not just their false selves, but the false selves of everyone around them. It's a ripple effect, right? So if you enlighten this woman, then she's going to experience what you're experiencing with everyone else around her. Yeah. I guess it's just hard to overcome that kind of that conditioning that, you know, I'm surrounded by people who are afraid of me and what that should, you know, 
under normal circumstances, what that would tell me is like, there's something wrong with me. You know, if everyone's afraid of me, there's something wrong with me. But well, uh, first of all, they're not afraid of you. Well, right, I mean, they're not afraid of me, and yeah, it's and they're not afraid of the truth. And they're not afraid of philosophy, and they're not afraid of honesty, and they're not afraid of virtue, and they're not afraid of openness, and they're not afraid of vulnerability. They're, they're not afraid of any of those things. I guarantee that because those things are all positive, and we're not irrationally afraid of positive things, right? You don't give someone a million dollars and they say, oh my God, I'm terrified, right? Mm -hmm. What they're afraid of is the attack of those around them that those values will provoke. Right? So the girl, let's just, you know, pick on this, this girl for no particular reason. This girl, this woman, is not afraid of you and she's not afraid of the truth or anything like that. What she's afraid of and what she absolutely knows is going to occur is that if she accepts and absorbs the truth, then she's going to be set upon by those around her. And she doesn't want to experience that. She doesn't want to see that. Going against the tribe is is pretty counterintuitive for, for human beings, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so how are we supposed to like inspire people to to come along on this journey if it's got all these huge and obvious downsides? Well, you've got to minimize the downsides, first of all, by not making up ones, right? By not inventing them where they don't exist in the form of this kind of self-attack, right? Mm -hmm. Right, so there's a test, right? You, you know, in, in most mythologies, there's this love test, right? Like, so to get the girl, you've got to kill the dragon or, you know, go and get the golden fleece or whatever it is. There's always a love test that, uh, that occurs, right? Yeah. Well, when you come at people... This is, look, this is all just my opinion, but I think it's, it's really borne out by experience. When you come at people and say, grow, change, think, right? What they want to know is, are you full of shit or not? Are you living this stuff or not? And so what they do is they throw a whole bunch of psychological projection down your throat. And they see if you can handle it. Now, if you can't handle it, then they're like, well, fuck, I'm not listening to this guy, right? Because he's telling me to peel away from the tribe, but he can't handle me throwing a little bit of dust in his grill, right? Okay, so 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 looking at the the tribulation as a positive, as like to it's be expected, and yeah, just like, huh? Yeah, like imagine in some free society, someone comes along with a new currency. You're not just going to switch. You can be like, what the fuck is this backed up by, <laughs> right? Paper clips, your word, your dog. I mean, you know, I need, I, I'm not going to, right? Hmm. If someone wants to get you to switch cell phones, I mean, they, there better be something behind it. There better be some, right? So if someone comes along and says, you should go against the tribal delusions, they better have enough gravy and biscuits over there that you're willing to take the leap, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, looking, you at see it, what I mean? looking at it that way, like looking at it as a test to be expected and as like... And it's rational. Field. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's also like much more empowering than like, oh no, here's another person throwing shit at me, but just like, yep, here's the shit. Okay. We knew that was going to happen. So... And it should, right? Yeah. 
society should not go charging around after everyone who comes along with new ideas. There should be a very high barrier to social change. There has to be. Otherwise, we'd just be inventing new social systems every day and we'd all starve to death, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to change people, to change the world, to change society, there really ought to be a hugely high barrier to whoever wants to come along and change it. Yeah, because I've been looking at it like, oh no, this person's doing it too. But really it's like, yep, here, here, here's this again, you know, okay, we'll just do this, you know. Yeah, look, I mean, if, if, if you come along to people and say, you need to change your diet and, and you need to change how you live and you need to change how you dress, let's just say diet, right? If you come along to people and say, well, you better change your diet, the first thing they're going to say is, well, are you fat? Are you healthy? Right? That, that's the first thing we do is we, we, we look for the empirical evidence before we evaluate any of the content. Someone comes along to me and says, I have a magic formula to regrow your head hair. First thing I'm going to ask is, are you bald? <laughs> right? And it, it would be great because we don't have time to evaluate, evaluate everybody, the content of everyone's claims, right? The only thing we can evaluate is, like the only thing we have time to evaluate is, uh, you know, how's it working for you? And so if people throw up resistance to you and you fold, then they're saying, okay, so the bridge over to Nashland is really fucking rickety. So, so the, the resistance that, that I, I think I seem to be most vulnerable to is, is not any kind of confrontation. It's this kind of soft withdrawal. Mm -hmm. So like, what do I do with that? Like, how, how do I, I mean, I don't know how to counter that. Well, sure you do. Reason and evidence. No, there's no, there's no, there's no plan B for solutions in philosophy. There's no, well, you consult the magic chicken egg and read the entrails of this, and there, there's reason and evidence, right? So if you experience somebody as perceiving you as 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 grandiose, as vain, as whatever, right? Then you you can say to yourself, or you can say to the other person, well, what's what's the reason and evidence? But what if what if all they're doing is just withdrawing? From you? Yeah. Well, then you have a story or you have an interpretation about why they're withdrawing, right? Mm -hmm. And usually it's to do with, uh, I feel overwhelmed, uh, uh, you are too much, uh, uh, tone it down, back off, set up some boundaries, whatever. There's some disapproval of your behavior on the part of the other person who's withdrawing, right? Yeah. And so you say, okay, well what is the evidence that I'm being destructive and intrusive? It's not just the other person's perception that counts, right? Mm -hmm. It's the evidence. Well, and but so it, what, it is their perception in the, like, if I'm trying to communicate with them, their perception does matter. Matter? What do you mean by matter? Well, because, like, if they're, if they perceive, if, if they have a story about why they're withdrawing from me, then, and, like, that's allowing them to keep doing it, you know, without being conscious of why they're really doing it, then that perception is part of what's then preventing the connection from being made. Right, but it's not your job to manage the communications of other people, right? So if, if you come on uh, honest and open, and I know you, you're not an overbearing, grab them by the lapels, pant in their face, and, you know, shove four DVDs up their ass, right? I know that you're not doing any of that, right? So if they withdraw, 
then the evidence is that they lack self-knowledge. They lack the ability to communicate honestly because they're not saying to you, okay, um, like if you were being intrusive, let's say, then I would say something like, okay, uh, I experienced a certain amount of anxiety and, uh, and fear at this point when you were talking. So when you were telling me about you know, your great love of philosophy, it, you said this phrase, and I was like, oh, wow, that, that really makes me feel alarmed. I don't know why, but uh, tell me what was occurring for you at that moment, and let's see if we can't puzzle it out, right? Yeah. So that yeah, would so be, that'd right? be like if they, if they had the self-knowledge, if they'd been doing those self-work, they would, they would do that for sure. Sure, absolutely. Whereas if I just kind of tensed up, froze, and made up some excuse and, and left, right? then what the hope of that is that you're then going to self-attack, right? That's, that's the hope. The hope is that you've offended them, that you've upset them, that you've come on too strong, that blah, 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 right? Yeah. But all it means, frankly, is that they're being manipulative dicks. And that doesn't mean that they're bad, nasty people. But that particular thing is just, it's bullshit. That's not how you communicate with another human being that you care about. You don't just withdraw and let the other person stew and wonder about what's going on, that is irresponsible and destructive and manipulative. Now, you have the choice, if you want, right, you can go out, walk after the person and say, whoa, 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 wait a second, what just happened here, right? Why, why are you leaving? And if they attack you or they intimate or they, you know, well, you know, or, or well, you were just coming on too strong, and it's like, well, Wait a sec. First of all, that's a judgment. There's no such thing as coming on too strong. There are feelings and there are what there are emotions and there's what people say and do, right? Mm -hmm. But but coming on too strong is just a label. It doesn't it's just an attack label. It doesn't mean anything, right? You don't have any boundaries. Well, if that's true and the other person has really good boundaries, then why is the other person only label, exercising right? boundary control by leaving? Right. That's not exercising boundaries. Exercising boundaries is putting limits on the conversation or pushing back and saying, wait a sec, something happened here that I'm not too comfortable with. It's not walking away is not establishing boundaries. It's punishing mm -hmm. through ostracism, right? Yeah, and then launching a label at me would be like... And then launching a label, right? Exactly, exactly. So somebody who's really good at communicating, hey, people have the right to criticize me. Absolutely. And they have the right to say, well, Steph, you could be a better... Like, you know, these nonviolent communication guys, right? Mm -hmm. They uh, tell me sometimes, oh, Steph, you're too, too aggressive or whatever it is, right? And, uh, you know, I'm, st I'm still waiting for one of them to show me a better way or to interact with me in such a way that… That shows you, right? That shows yeah. me how much better it is rather than just launching a bunch of labels at me which without evidence and then sending me to a bunch of videos that are supposed to explain everything. It's like, no, 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 no. If you want to sell me a nonviolent communication, you need to sell me on your skill in it, right? Not in, you know, there's some videos out there which I'm supposed to, what, watch and then and then realize the sins, the errors of my way. That's not being friendly and helpful to someone. That's not acting out of love or, or respect or admiration or anything like that. That's just saying, well, I'm going to try and get Steph to feel that he's a bad communicator and I'm going to bunch of, give him a whole bunch of videos that I hope will close the case. But I'm not going to tell him anything and I'm certainly not going to demonstrate my deep knowledge. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely not doing I mean, I, cause I, mean I, I read that book and, and if they're just sending you... <laughs> 
if they're just sending you links to videos and, and complaining about your communication style, they're definitely not using it. Themselves. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm a I'm a damn good communicator. Uh, I'm certainly not perfect, but I'm you know my entire show is about communication. I'm a very good communicator, and if somebody wants to tell me that I'm communicating badly. I would at least expect that they would have some very good skills in communication themselves, right? Like if, if I'm a pretty good – if I've got a black belt and someone comes along and says my technique is really bad, is fundamentally flawed, I would hope that they would have at least a black belt <laughs> and then could show me how to improve. But they don't do that, right? So now that doesn't mean that I can't improve and that doesn't mean that maybe nonviolent communication is perfect and wonderful. But I don't have time to evaluate every theory that comes my way. I mean, I get 200 emails a day with people telling me what to do and what to do better and how to whatever, right? Yeah. And so I simply don't have time to evaluate everybody's email to me. So all I do is I look at the form of what they're doing. You know, all I do is I'm, if I'm looking up and down the, the bookshelf for a diet book, all I do is look for the guy on the cover who's not fat. That's the, very, that's the book I'm going to open. And that doesn't mean all the other diets suck. It just means given the shortness of time, I'm not going to do the work of other people for them. And if they want to convince me about something, then show me. That comes from theater. Show me, don't tell me, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so this is the thing, right? So if people withdraw from you, they're confessing that their communication skills suck like an interplanetary vacuum. They have no idea how to, how to manage boundaries. They have no idea how to bring up issues. They have no idea how to communicate in a way that is positive and helpful. And the only thing that they can do is withdraw, perhaps throw a label or two your way, either in their body language or verbally, in the hopes that you're going to self-attack and blame yourself for what happened. And that is a terrible way to communicate with another human being. Criticism should never be attack. I mean, one-on-one -on -one criticism. I mean, I obviously criticize pretty heavily third parties and so on. But, but if I want to give you feedback that's critical, right, like in this conversation, right, to suggest better ways of doing things, I don't sit there by saying, well, you know, you're just an insecure jerk who, you know, is tripping all over himself rather than helping the world. I mean, how on earth would that help you? Mm -hmm. It would only tear you down, right? So just... Judge, you know, people who claim to be experts, who claim to know more than you do, right? People are saying, you've been studying Mandarin for six years straight, but your Mandarin is terrible. Well, that's quite a claim to make, isn't it? Yeah, and they're telling me in English or something. <laughs> and they're what? They're like telling me in English, too. Yeah, they're telling you in English. They're telling you in English, I don't understand your Mandarin. It's like, well, of course you don't, because you're replying in English. And I don't, first of all, I don't see how you can study something for six years and suck at it, if you've got any brains at all, and you have more than your fair share, right? So you can't, you can't study self-knowledge for six years and philosophy for six years and not be pretty damn good at it. And so, and look, that's fine. So, so maybe there's stuff that you need to learn. So maybe somebody studied for 10 years and can give you a couple of pointers. Fantastic. But not through bullshit manipulation, like withdrawal and, and, and provoking self attacks in others and manipulating and, and, you know, huffing and, and uh, rolling eyes and I mean, whatever, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's somebody 
who has studied nothing. And, and the tragedy, of course, is that people only grow because of self-doubt. But when you grow, especially, I mean, six years is a hell of a long time. Right? You're no longer learning Mandarin. You're speaking Mandarin. That doesn't mean you can't ever improve or learn, learn new words. Hell, we learn new words in English even now, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't sit there and say, well, I'm, I'm still learning English. I, I, I'm, you know? Well, that, I mean, that's one of the, the clues that I have that, you know, like, like I've tried to make, <laughs> and, and I guess this conversation shows you another area where I was trying to make the problem be with me. You know, like if, I, if, if only the problem with my interaction with other people was, was me, then I could fix it. You, know, you like, are not trying to make the problem be okay. with you. <laughs> Other <laughs> people are trying to make the problem be with you. You're now, right. <laughs> now, sorry, let me be annoying uh, and just retract that a little bit. Uh, th there is some advantage in you, as you say, right? You don't have to face the despair of leadership or loneliness, right? Uh, so yeah, yeah, there is a part of you that wants to agree with them so that you can change something and keep that illusion at bay. So sorry, you're right. It's it's both. Yeah. It's both, but, but, it's, it's but the, the, initiation, like even, the initiation comes from them, I would yeah, say. Even thinking it's coming from me is, is doing it, though. <laughs> right. Right, right. right. Um, yeah, so, you know, like, it, it, would be, it would be nice if it was if it was me so that I could fix it, but... Right. I mean, like, that's the, like you said, that's the despair of, like, that choice between, you know, well, it's either that loneliness or leadership, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that is the... Uh... I think that's the reality. And that's, this is the great challenge. And I, I talked about this with uh, James a little bit recently, that this is the great challenge that, um, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily want to be leaders, but, um, we, we kind of have to be, uh, there's, you know, that the, the next generation won't have to be leaders because there'll be enough people. But if we don't do it, nobody's going to do it because there's no, there's no one out there who's ahead of us. Right. We're not, we're not catching up with other people, right? We're the icebreakers, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that, that helps me, like, helps me to realize that, that, the, that the, the deficiency is with other people. Because when I, when I, when I try to, when there is that self-attack, like, you know, oh, I'm just bad at communicating or, oh, whatever, whatever. Then, but then it's like, well, wait a minute, though. When I'm around other people who I admire for their honesty and communication skills, like I have no problem interacting with them. Like I'm not having right, any problem right, communicating right. with you right now. Right. You know, you're understanding what I'm saying. You're not withdrawing. You're you're giving me good feedback. And so like, and like when I talk to people in Philadelphia, when I talk to Greg, when I talk to Corey, like it's no problem. Yeah. Everyone who speaks Mandarin understands me perfectly and says my Mandarin is great. Everybody yeah. who doesn't speak Mandarin says my Mandarin sucks. It's right. like, wait a minute. <laughs> this no worky, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that I think that this is I mean, this is something that's going on, not just for you, but in the community as a whole. Right. Which is this this challenge of dragging ourselves up for, for leadership. Right. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I think it's it's, inter it's interesting how just it's kind of coming sort of all together at once. But it's uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. Greg, Greg was saying that last time I talked to him. He's like, yeah, it seems like this is kind of emerging as a, as a thing. <laughs> and, and I think that's quite right. I mean, so it's like the the. The growth thing is, you know, first of all, it's about um, you, then it's about those around you uh, in terms of their impact on you from a negative standpoint, and then it's about your impact on others from a positive standpoint. And we sort of emerge from the navel gazing, which is necessary in terms of self-knowledge to assume 
uh, leadership uh, in in moving the species forward. And I think that's highly appropriate. And I think you, you don't want to rush that process, but you don't want to delay it when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it really like, I, I guess the, the word that Greg used was, was outreach, you know, like mm-hmm. trying to, to sort of spread the word and, and, and up the game. And it really is that difference between loneliness and leadership because it's like, well, there's nobody else around. So I guess I'll do some outreach because, you know, that's the only way to, you know, you got to step up and, and turn my light on brighter. And hope for- right. And uh, avoid the self attack from people without credibility. That's uh, that's a very important look. We are also well known enough now as a community that if there were some people who were ahead of us, they would have found us. Right. Yeah, it's not I mean, like there's just you and me and three other guys in a basement hiding out, right? I mean, this show's been pretty damn public for quite a long time now. And, uh, you know, nobody's, nobody's come by to say, hey, good to see you catching up. And, of course, we would have heard about them too, right? I mean, we're all over this plus stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and the evidence for that for me is, like, when I do find some, something that's similar, like, I'm all over that trying to find out if there's anything really going on there. You know, right. like, like if I read a book, you know, the book on nonviolent communication, I'm like, you know, great. Are there like clubs or are there people doing this? You know, are there people practicing this? And then like I look around and there's kind of like no one practicing it. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, there's, there's not a big group doing this. So we're not missing them. But like I, I look for them. And so I would assume if there was some group doing something like what we're doing, they'd be looking for us the same way I'm looking for them. Exactly. 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 Yeah, I think that's 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 exactly right. So again, the evidence is that there's there's nothing out there. Yeah. Uh, we are uh, ahead of the game, and uh, there's no there's no shortcuts. And it's if it's not us, it's nobody. And that's uh, exciting. I mean, it sucks a little, but it's also very exciting because that is um, that is a very great honor, I think, uh, to to be at the ground level of this kind of change that's so so desperately needed and so essential for the world. I mean, what a what a cool thing to be to be involved in. Well, I, I feel less less like I'm going in circles. I'm a little bit more encouraged now about just the whole this whole process. Good, good. All right, I've got one more call before Izzy wakes up, so I'm going to jump off here. I'll send you a copy of this. Uh, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic conversation. I hope that you'll consider it popping out, but uh, you can have a listen, of course, as usual first. All right, thanks so much for making time on such short notice, too. It's my pleasure, man. Take care. Bye. Bye.